Today's value is karate. So, uh, hope you guys are ready. Find a partner. We're finishing up today our series called Values, where we've been looking at things that are values of my life, but beyond that, I believe that they're values that God wants for His church to be able to look like Him and to carry His mission out into the world. And so I hope that as we've gone through this series, that not only have you gotten to know me a little bit more and uh, understand better who I am and how I'm going to lead and where I hope this church will go, but that maybe you've been able to adopt some of these values or, or at very least go, you know, that's something that I, I would consider bringing into my life. And uh, I also still want to throw it out there. There's many of you we haven't got together with yet, and uh, so let's get something on the calendar so that we can get to know each other even better. So today we're going to talk about my value of balance. As Mr. Miyagi said, if balance is good, then everything is good. If balance is bad, everything is bad. Now, today's message is not about yin or yang or finding your zen. You know, it, it's not, not what today's about, so we're like, oh man, he's one of those new age pastors, okay? That's not what we're talking about. Because balance is not just for karate, it's for all of life. Uh, okay, so I practiced a lot. I was really hoping to be more impressed. <laughs> But how many of you guys consider yourself a person with good balance? Nobody? Everybody here's like, I just follow over all the time. Um, overall, I think I have pretty good balance. You know, usually I can hop across some rocks, walk across the log. You know, I can make it pretty much all the way down the curb um, to impress my kids. And uh, they're pretty impressed by me on those things, like Victoria was talking about today. I don't follow enough that they don't trust me. And, um, but, you know, when you're walking across those things and you're trying to keep your balance, it's pretty crazy how little of something needs to happen to really knock you completely out of balance. Uh, you know, a, just a slightly wet rock that you weren't expecting, or a badly placed limb on that log, or a little bit too much wind, and down you go, right? So today we're going to talk about finding balance and how you find it in your life and why it's so important. Um, we'll probably in the future go much deeper into this topic because I think that there's balance in so many key aspects, areas of our life that uh, we really kind of avoid. And, but today we don't have time to go into all those things, so we're going to talk about it in an overall view. And we're going to look at um, a verse by Solomon uh, from the Bible. And now Solomon was the wisest person who has ever lived. And his wisdom as king of Israel led them to be let the nation be one of the wealthiest nations that's ever existed, and him himself being one of the wealthiest leaders in history. In today's money, this is a random fact for you that I found really interesting, uh, that the value of his kingdom and of him as a leader was around at least $1 trillion in today's money. Right, that's the total net worth of the top 10 wealthiest people on earth Solomon had in his own wealth. And what's crazy is that Solomon was still a, in general, a good person. You know, he had some issues with some women, um, as most men do. And, uh, but other than that, you know, he, he really kept fairly level-headed. And I think it comes because he understood balance. Now, Solomon wrote three books in our Bible, the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and the majority of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes out of the Bible, they're considered the wisdom books because they're just these nuggets of wisdom that Solomon had and, and gained over his lifetime in many different ways, and uh, he put them together in books. And in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 15 through 18, 
Um, he shares one of, kind of this favorite verse of mine that I've come to really hold to. And um, I, I want to share that with you today, just kind of the base of everything about balance today. Now Solomon says, I have seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. So don't be too good or too wise, because why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either, and don't be a fool. Why would you die before your time? Pay attention to these instructions, for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. Now Solomon, as I said, he's this wealthiest person that's probably ever lived, had access to everything, led the greatest nation on earth, and somehow when he looked at earthly life, he thought it as meaningless. Now that's some, you know, just a key idea to balance right there, to understand the value of earth when it comes to being someone who follows Christ. That this earth is fairly meaningless to what God has for us. He goes on to say, don't be too good or too bad. If you fear God, you'll avoid most, most extremes. Now, this is uh, the NLT version of this uh, scripture here, and I normally teach out of it because I think it um, gives a fairly accurate and understandable translation of, um, from the original language of the Bible. But one of the things that this translation does is it gets rid of a lot of the images and the imagery that this author's originally writing because, you know, sometimes it's easier to plainly say it um, instead of trying to understand a metaphor. And Solomon, though, with his wisdom, he also really loved poetry. Song of Solomon is all a book of poetry and imagery. But I think it helps us to look at the imagery that Solomon used here. So we're going to read it from a different version. Um, this is the CSB, starting in verse 16. Solomon says, Don't be excessively righteous, and don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Don't be excessively wicked, and don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp the one, and you do not let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. So what the image he's trying to show there is, he says if you hold on to one extreme on one side of your life, and then hold on to an extreme from the other, then you will find yourself in this place of balance, this place in the middle. And what really happens there is he finds himself in moderation. He avoids both extremes because he can't get to that extreme because he's holding on to this extreme. And vice versa, he can't go to that extreme because he's holding on to this one. And it, it holds him somewhere in the middle. Now, often when somebody brings up, hey, you should live a life of moderation, we have some issues because it's like, man, that just sounds pretty boring. Right? Man, I don't want a moderate life. I want an exciting life. I want cool things and all sorts of stuff. We're going to talk about how like, God designed our life to be a life of moderation, but what that really does is give us access to everything. Because just like Solomon said, that the one who holds on to both extremes doesn't actually lose either, but gains both. Now Solomon says, don't be too wicked. So there's some amount of Solomon that's like, it's okay to be a little bit wicked. And uh, I don't think that that's really what he meant when he was talking about it. Because he goes on to explain, uh, you know, it, it's not this idea of balance of, well, I gave money to the poor today so I can steal from someone else to make it even, right? No, that's not what he was getting at. He goes on to say that wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of a city. 
There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. Because he understands human nature will cause you to sin. Right? What he's saying is, if your sin that's unintentional, your sin that you struggle with, don't go full into that. That's the extreme, is diving into your struggle. What he's saying is, it's understandable that there will be some wickedness in your life because you are human. But hold on to this too good side as well. Right? He goes on to like, say, don't pay attention to everything people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For in your heart, you know many times that you yourself has cursed others. Right? He, he's just calling to attention human nature. Right? Sometimes we, we jump to an extreme with people because we're upset about things they've done when we know we've done the exact same things, even if it's just a thought in our head or an intention in our heart that we never follow through with it. And that's he's trying to bring this moderation. He's trying to don't jump to the extreme because you know you've thought the extreme. Moderation is holding on to both sides. Moderation is key to finding balance. The definition of moderation is restraint, the avoidance of extremes or excesses. Solomon is teaching us that moderation or balance is found in the avoidance of extremes, but the best way to avoid extremes is actually to hang on to all of them, as we showed. If you hang on to all extremes, you cannot find yourself in any extreme, because it holds you in the middle. But often we try to avoid an extreme, and what that causes us to do is run to the other side because we're only holding on to one and we end up all the way over in that extreme without even knowing. It's pretty easy to see this in America that, that we actually live in a world that clings to extremes. And people love to hold on to the extreme that they want. If you look around our nation, we're very divided. But you can see it in many, many different ways, whether it's even Christian or not. Or whether or not you know, you're on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle. We've become people of extremes. And over time I've, I've found that I myself am becoming more of a both and type of person instead of an either or. And I feel like that's a much more biblical place to live. Right? When we look at politics, you know, I mean, there's a whole lot we can get into there and we're not going there today. But in general, the government only works when they are able to work together and find some middle ground to be able to move forward because if it stays in one extreme, the other side will vote no. Right? And we agree that that's how it, it, it has to work. That was the purpose of the structure of our government. Right? But if you look at the American people and the conversations they have, no one will actually hold to the idea that they need the other party. That both parties maybe have something good to offer and they have bad things to keep away. Well, it's definitely not perfect and I'm not perfect at figuring it all out yet. I do believe that we can find ourselves in the middle of a both-and type of space, holding to both extremes. It'll be a better place. But I've also found that if, you be, if you're someone who talks about how you are in the middle, people are kind of upset about that. They don't really understand it. Because we're accustomed to seeing and believing that people are only one extreme or the other. You know, I, one of the things, I, I'm going to use politics just because it's such an easy example of how we're so divided um, before our eyes, but often you're talking to somebody from one party, and they'll say, well, we're all fairly moderate on our side. But they're, they're all extreme people on the other side. Then you go talk to that side, and they say, well, we're all moderate on this side. That side's so extreme, because they want to be 
people that are, and they want to be, you know, seeing other people on the, the other extreme. So one of the key things to having balance in your life, to find yourself in the middle, and to hold on to all these extremes, is you have to be careful not to dismiss something, because you disagree with a part of it, and you fear that it may pull you to that side. Because again, you still hold on to what you know on the other side. You guys have probably heard the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Have you guys, has anyone ever done that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Because hopefully it's not a saying about really raising children. That would be a bad, you know, thing that we'd have to, you know, put a rule out there. I think one of these days bathtubs will probably come with that caution tape on there with the way it is. But what that saying is actually telling us is that we don't throw out the truth with the lies. Because everything in life is based on truth. Got it? Hear me here. So God only speaks truth, right? We can agree to that. Everything God says is true. And everything that we know that exists before our eyes today was created by God, which He spoke into existence. So everything on earth is, is derived from some truth. So everything that's going on out there, anything you look to, everything within your life, there is truth in it somewhere. Because lies are even built off truth. Lies are just twisted truth, or lies are just, you know, a rearrangement of truth. And so I believe that in every person's belief, that in every, you know, function that's happening around the world, that there is a truth that is in it somewhere. And some of them may be small, and some of those truths may be fairly large. But size doesn't matter. At least that's what I've learned. Uh, but that's a really funny joke. Okay. Uh, okay. So, but, but truth is truth. Right? No matter if it's small or it's large, in life, when we find truth, truth is truth. And so we can't throw out everything that surrounds that truth. If it's from God, then it is truth, and truth is from God. And that's what helps to hold yourself in the middle, because when you hold on to an extreme from a side that maybe you don't agree with everything they do, you need to be a little bit more open and see that there's truth and be able to hold it. You know, maybe it's a friend that you find yourself, or an acquaintance, maybe not even a friend or a co-worker, that you're frustrated with all the time. But that God created them. And that they have just as much purpose as you do in life. And that's the truth you can hold on to. Yeah. And so instead of holding on to the extreme of, you know, what you see, what you hear, and finding yourself avoiding them, you hold on to that truth, and you find yourself somewhere in a moderation of, I can't be around them all the time because they annoy me, but... I still have to love them because they're still God's creation. You know, and there's all these different ways that we have to hold on to these extremes. There's a man in the Bible, and he's only mentioned one time. And he, is, he has the honor of being included in the writings of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Right alongside Solomon. And in chapter 30, we find about him, his name is Agar. And uh, there's a book, a really short little book called The Prayer of Agar by Jay Palinger. And uh, it's a great little book. It introduces this, eye, uh, this idea of balance. Uh, but Edgar prays a really simple prayer with balance into his life. And he starts off with this idea in Proverbs 30, verses 7 and 8. He says, Two things I ask of you, and don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. The first thing that he, he understands to bring balance into my life, the first thing I need is to be able to see truth. 
Keep falsehood from me. Keep deceitful words from me. Help me to see the truth and help truth be the only thing that flows out of my mouth. Truth matters, right? We've been talking about the importance of it, right? Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And truth, whether we're hearing it or we're speaking it, brings freedom. To ignore truth causes bad decisions, right? Satan is the father of lies. That's how he gets us there, you know? You obscure truth, and you start believing the lie part of it, that, you know, gets us in bad situations. Just look at the very Garden of Eden at the very beginning. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6 with the phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right? Deliver us from lies, and lead us into truth. So holding on to extremes is about finding those nuggets of truth in People will have issues with that. Because they'll see you holding on to a truth that's surrounded by lies, and they're going to not agree with you for that. Because all they can see is the lies. But we have to hold on to those truths that are found in there so that we can find ourselves safely in the middle. Agar continues his short prayer with this second request in verses 8 through 9. It says, give me, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Agur prays for a life of moderation. He says, Give me just what I need. No one prays that prayer. Right? Even if I'm praying for something that I need, I always throw in a request for a little bit more. You know, it's like, God, I can use $100 to cover my bills this month. But if you had an extra zero on the end of that, I'm not going to be upset. You know, I'm going to throw that prayer in there because it's like, why not? Right? Or God, we can use another car. If that car happens to be my dream car, I need some GTR all at the same time. I will not be frustrated. You know, in that situation. You know, or maybe your prayer is God, give me a job. You know, this is what I need is my minimum. But if you can actually give me, you know, every benefit out there known to mankind, an unlimited vacation, and, you know, $150 an hour, you know, minimum, you know, starting with raises to come, you know, I'd be okay with that. We live in a world of extremes, right? It, it's always, I need and want more, right? Or big, yeah, more house, more cars, more closet space, more activities, more money, more positions, more possessions, and more influence, bigger, better, more, more. There's the other extreme as well that happens in the world around us. We have minimalists who are down to like one set of clothes they wear every day and they live in a hundred square foot tiny home or even the homeless that are choosing to have nothing. Agur sets a precedent again to the Lord's prayer. When he says, give me just what I need, he actually uses a phrase in that, that is uh, the same phrase as my daily bread. Agur took it a step farther though and said, he didn't just ask for my daily bread. He said, give me only my daily bread. Nothing more, nothing less. We talked this morning in a, a team rally about having big prayers. And having these major, major prayers here that if your prayers were answered, how many people in the community would be affected by those prayers and these things? You know, sometimes it's like, man, that takes a lot of courage to pray for my whole city to get saved. For my whole school or my workplace. But do you even have the courage to pray a prayer like this that says, God, give me just what I need today, only what I need today? 
Hager gives us the reason that he gave that specific request. He says, because if you give me too much, I might disown you. I might say, God, I don't need you anymore because I have enough already. Or and if you give me too little, I might end up going out and stealing, and that would be bad for your name. You know, it's just a nice little jab of the God, you gotta give me something, okay? I might do some bad things. But he's essentially praying, let me be found as someone who is dependent on only you. When Hagar used that phrase, daily bread, he, Jesus hadn't happened yet. You know, the Lord's Prayer hadn't happened. So when he says, give me my daily bread, he's referencing the story of Moses. And the Egyptian, after they escaped Egypt, and they're walking through um, the desert with all the Israelites, and manna was given to them daily. Exodus 16.4, this is when they're out in the desert, they have no food, and the Lord provides for them, and this is when the Lord gave instructions. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day, and I will test them in this to see whether or not they follow my instructions. And so the next morning this manna appeared, and people ran out, and they collected as much as they could, and they thought... You know, at the end of that day, they ate all the food. They just tried to store it in fancy Ziploc bags. And, you know, all the things they had, air sealers, vacuum bags, all the things that they could find to seal this manna to keep it fresh and it expired. The next day, it was no good. But the next day, God provided. And everything that they needed to did, that manna appeared, and they were able to collect just as much. And the people who thought, man, they didn't collect enough today, they had just what they needed. And Abraham knew the story well. When he was telling God, each day give me just what I need, nothing more, nothing less, he understood that even if God hated him more, or even if God didn't seem to give him enough, it was going to be what he needed. Now, can you pray that into your life? That you would ask God for just the right amount? There was so much freedom to be with being okay with the right amount of everything and understanding that what you have right now is just the right amount that Jesus has given. So holding on to all those extremes and finding yourself somehow in the middle, because I believe that's where you have all of truth. And that's where freedom is found, right? If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And when you can hold on to all truths and find yourself in the middle, holding on to all of it, wouldn't that be where the most freedom would be found? I think one of our biggest hang-ups in this is that, especially in America, especially in our culture, is we do not understand how to be content. We don't understand this prayer of giving me just what I need and being okay with having just what I need. Content, by definition, is to be satisfied with what one is or has, not wanting more or anything else. Right? We're not satisfied or content with America. That's why the iPhone 14 is about to be released, right? right? And there will be a 14S or something next year, and then a 15, and some point in life you'll probably see the 100 series. Right? There's a bigger Apple Watch coming out. I think you have to put it on your ankle, because it's too heavy for the arms. You know, like, our world is, like, so caught up in the new thing, the better thing, the big thing. What's crazy to me is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible is actually about being content. Yet it's one of the things we struggle with the most. Philippians 4.13, where I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Did you know that verse is actually about being content? 
Because leading up to that, this is what Paul's talking about, verse 11 and 12. It said, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Right? We, we use this verse all the time about wanting to do whatever, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be able to, you know, run this race today because the God, because God is giving me strength, but I'm going to be able to conquer this at my job today for God is giving me strength. And I believe God gives you strength to get to your day because he's going to give you just what you need. But what Paul is really talking about here is that this is the secret to being content, to understanding that everything that you need will come from God. Right? Paul learned the secret to living in every situation, being content, moderation, balance. You know, it's funny, the, the word living there, you know, I read that and I'm like, oh, he, he's learned how to live on almost nothing and everything. The secret of living in every situation, I'm like, that's not like really living, though. It's like suffering living. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but the word for, for living there is actually to abound, like, to increase, to exceed. What he's saying is, if you can understand the secret of being content with basically nothing, just the minimum of what God gives you today, it's actually a life of more. You want to live an abundant life? Be content. Find moderation and live off of only your daily bread. And Christ will give you the strength to live in it. And I'd rather live in Christ's strength than my strength in and to be really honest with you guys, you know, this is a value of mine, something I hold to very close, but I'm also not very good at. It. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a dreamer. I daydream probably way too much, and uh, it's just what's natural to me. And I think it's okay to dream, I'm not saying don't be that. But dreaming and being content at the same time is not always easy. And that, for me, is my struggle to hold on to daydreaming and believing that God has all these amazing things for my life. But also being 100% okay with everything I have today. And I can't hold on to one or the other because if I go only to what I have today, I start to get really depressed in my life because I was built as somebody who desires to see more. But if I only chase what's more, I get pretty depressed because I can't be okay with what I have today. But when I can hold on to both and understand God is giving me everything I need right now in my life, and understand that, that he knows what's best for me, and hold on and believe in those dreams, I can be okay with when, when I look out and I open my eyes and see what I have. But also I hold on to, there's a hope for a future, that God has so much more plans, that I'm all going to be a part of someday, whatever it looks like. I know that there's a hope for something better and bigger. But one or the other is not good for me, but both of them put me in a place of help, keep me in a place of moderation, and keep me living where God has me today. And we basically forgot about being content, I feel like, in America. I went to uh, Cuba on a missions trip, and uh, this is actually where this idea of this like crazy contentment and finding freedom came from, because I was in this country that's completely oppressed. They're far from free. Their government regulates everything for them. They can't even paint their house without getting permission, let alone Find a house, buy a house, build a house. They regulate everything that they own down to how many toothbrushes. If the government broke into their house and they had too many toothbrushes, they could go to jail. 
It is not free. They don't get to choose what they want to be with their life. The government decides their careers. The government decides where they will move to to be able to follow that career. But yet, when I was in their churches, I experienced freedom in a way that I've never experienced in America, that land of the free. And God began to speak to me that their freedom comes with being content with having just their daily or to them, their daily rice and beans. Because they understood that Jesus was all that they had. And it was all that they wanted. I, I watched a, I met a family that they walked like five miles during a downpour monsoon to get to church. Because that was what they needed in their life. That's what brought contentment to them. Right? And we don't come to church and everything issues now, you know? They were okay with having just what they needed. And in that, they had so much more freedom than I had ever experienced in my own life. Jesus said multiple times that he who gives up his life will find it. And whoever tries to save his own life will lose it. Because Jesus was about balance. There's one area where we don't hold on to the other side, right? We don't try to, you know, that is in our devotion to Jesus. One extreme. We don't try to have a equal devotion to Satan. Okay? Just want to clarify. Okay? There's, there's a little off balance there, okay? But even in our love for Jesus, we're called to love our enemies. Even in our call to sit at his feet, which according to Mary and Martha is the best thing, we're still then very much called to go out into the streets and take care of the homeless and the orphans and the poor and the needy. Even in our call to care for our brothers and sisters inside the church, we've very much also been called to go outside and care for those same people as well. There is balance. There is moderation. A church that only sits at the feet of Jesus, seeking his presence, spending all that time with him, is missing the call to go out into the world and take that same Jesus to the people who are in need and finding Jesus in the streets. A church that only focuses on outreach, that's only outside doing all those things and reaching out to them, is a church that's missing out on how precious it is to spend time in the presence of Jesus along fellow believers inside as well. There is moderation to how you lead a church and how our body should grow. John the Baptist in John 3.30 says, he, be, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Even to have more Jesus, we have to get less of ourselves. Otherwise, we're out of balance. Now, it's quite possible that you've heard all of this today and still not recognize the full advantage of living in moderation. And I think we get hung up on this idea that aiming for a life of contentment or of moderation is a compromise or an excuse to not live up to our full potential. And like I said earlier, it just sounds like a boring life. But in fact, the opposite is true. Living in moderation, as we just saw, is God empowering. Not only does Paul say that being content is powered by Christ, who can do all things within you, but you get to live in all truth without lies and falsehood and what is greater than that. We live in such a dark time for our country where it's almost impossible to know what is true. Even Facebook fact checkers here, and we still have a hard time with it, you know? But we know that Jesus, who according to himself, in John 14, 6 says, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can live with him in moderation. 
This same Jesus that, that said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and directed us to pray for just our daily bread, another time took bread, a small, you know, boy's meal of bread and fed 5,000 people. Do you not think when you ask God for his daily bread that it wouldn't go above and beyond what you really need for your life? Jesus went on to say in John 6, multiple times, but in verse 33 through 35, that the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Certainly said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you understand that that's the daily bread you're asking for? A bread that will always come up satisfying you? A bread that will always come up taking care of all your needs. We can be content. We can live in moderation because everything we need is in Christ. He is the only thing that can satisfy your life. There are so many psalms and prayers and songs throughout Scripture that declare that God or declare that Jesus is their portion in this life. Because they found that understanding of nothing else will satisfy me. As Solomon said, everything in this life is meaningless. He satisfies everything that I need. And as we move forward as a church, this is something, like I said, that is a value of life. You will see it in my life. And it will probably confuse you at times because the world doesn't seem to work this way where they find somewhere in the middle. You will see me work really hard. And you will also see me rest and play really hard. You will see me spending money. And you will see me be a giver and a saver. Right? You will see me move in moments of faith and you also see us move in moments of wisdom. Yeah, there will be times where I'm making time to spend extra time with you when you're at need. But you will also see me avoiding you because I need time with my family. And I'll agree with multiple different viewpoints, probably people you disagree here with, that I'll agree with both of you on certain things. And it'll be a weird place. Because we should really all be able to live there. I will also fail at this at times. And you will see that. And you will also see me succeed. And these are the things that I will expect out of you as well. And over all of that, this church, each of us, should become content with only having Jesus. That our search would be for nothing more, for nothing less, than just Jesus. And now it's praying for how do we put this in practice in our lives? And I felt like the best way to begin this search, you know, of, of moderation in our lives, this desiring of only of Jesus being our daily bread, our only satisfaction, is to do a fast. You know, and so I'm going to give you a day to get started so that you can binge eat or whatever you need to do today. Uh, but tomorrow, we're going to start a fast for 14 days as a church, okay? And I'm not calling you to fast everything unless that's what God's calling you to fast. But for you who don't know what a fast is, fast is the time where we are willingly going to choose to deny ourselves of physical pleasures, to remind our bodies that we are spiritual beings first and foremost, and that we are only in need of Jesus. Fasting is a physical action that shows spiritual boundaries. Choosing to go without for something better. Right? And I want to show fasting isn't a time that, that we get more of God. Okay, because we can't have more. He's already offered everything. We have full access to everything every day. 
But what happens when we fast and we give up some things in our lives and focus on God during those times is that we experience Him probably differently. Now this is similar to a, a water faucet. If you turn on the hot and cold water at the same time and put your hands in it, you'll find the water to be lukewarm. Right? But, but what you're actually experiencing is 100% the cold water and 100% the hot water. Right? When you turn off the cold water, and you put your hands in it, it's now very hot. It's probably a bad thing to do. But what you're doing is you're now experiencing 100% of the hot only. You're not experiencing more of the hot water. It's the same amount of hot water. What you've done is you've turned off one side, and it seems to be a lot more focused, a lot more concentrated. And when we fast, that's what's similar. We turn off some of our physical de desires and needs. And so all of a sudden, we're a little bit more in tune, a little more concentrated on God. And we're able to find Him more. And it tells our body, hey, that's great that you want all these things, but what I want you to understand is what we really need is Jesus. Now, I would encourage everybody to fast food, not go buy fast food, okay, but to give up food in some way or another. Okay? I'm not, maybe you feel called during this time to not eat for those 14 days, and I think that would be great. But maybe it's like, I'll give up breakfast. Now, if you don't ever eat breakfast, that's not fast okay? <laughs> give up lunch instead. Now, don't pick up eating breakfast because you've given up lunch. Okay, that, that's not the same thing. Give up something, make it a sacrifice. That is what fasting is. Okay, pick something that is a challenge in some sort of way. Maybe you can only do a meal a day, or maybe you can do two, or maybe you'll do all of that. Maybe you'll choose to just not eat your favorite foods. You know, maybe you'll cut meat out of your diet for the next two weeks, or sweets. Some of you guys started crying right there. <laughs> uh, maybe you choose to just do liquids or only water to drink and no pop or something like that. Or soda, whatever you guys call it here in California. Uh, I realize that I don't say the same thing and I don't know which one's right because I got too much in my head. Uh, but I would encourage you beyond food to also fast something else. Something that takes up a lot of your time. Maybe it's watching TV. Maybe it's scrolling social media or video games. Maybe it's just you like to spend money and go to the store in your free time. Right? Your husbands would be really happy with that. No, uh, but find something that you fill your time with, that you find satisfaction, that you try to find some joy in, and give that up for this next two weeks. And instead, spend some time with Jesus. Turn out some worship music. Start reading the Bible somewhere. Challenge yourself to read, you know, some amount of scripture over these next 14 days. And even more than that, pray during that time. Now, what are you going to pray about? Well, I have some prayer points for you. They're coming up quickly. Here we go. Uh, take a picture of this. We'll put it on social media as well. But uh, grab a picture so you have it. Save it as your uh, background on your phone. So every time you open your phone, you're reminded of these prayer points for the next 14 days. Uh, but pray for each day for only what you need from Jesus that day. Give me just what I need today. Secondly, pray for God to reveal in your life where maybe you need to find some moderation. Somewhere where you're only holding on to one extreme. And say, okay, God, show me that other extreme I need to grab on to. And then lastly, pray for our church. Because we're going to be establishing vision and direction and values of our church as we start moving forward here. And uh, we're really praying and 
part of this fast for me is, okay, God, what do you have more for us as a church? And I want just what you have for us. And I want him to speak clearly to me and to our leadership as we move forward. So be praying for us in those things. So remember today that in all things to look for the truth in it, to hold to it tightly that you might avoid extremes and find yourself living in the palace of moderation. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the wisdom that is found in your word. And that you've given us keys to living a life that's abundant. Lord, you came to earth and you said that you've come to give life and life abundantly. But it's not found in our desires of more things or bigger things or better things. It's actually found in being 100% okay dependent on just having you. You are the life that's abundant. You are the life that's exceedingly above everything we could ever imagine. God, I pray as we're doing this fast for the next 14 days, God, that you would show up in new ways to us. God, that we would find ourselves satisfied by you in ways we never knew we could be. God, that those of us that have been searching for something more, that have been feeling like we're lacking, that we've been feeling like we don't have enough, or we've been depressed, or we've been lost, that we would find that in you this next couple of weeks, Lord. God, that we would train our bodies to realize that what we need is you in this life. And that's it. That you are our portion. That in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That you have opened the door to everything that we need for life and godliness, the second Peter says. God, as we pray for just our daily bread, only our daily bread every day, may we see yourself multiplied in our life as you did with the, the loaves and feeding the 5,000. God, I pray that you would help us to avoid all extremes and find ourselves in the middle. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go and be content with Jesus today.